Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Denver United. Thanks for coming to worship God with us this holiday weekend. You are officially the holiday weekend righteous remnant. Uh, so I hope you do something doubly fun after church. Hey, Alpha season is upon us. Two things I want to remind you of. One, if you don't know, Alpha is amazing. It's the best, most authentic, most low-pressure evangelistic opportunity that I've ever discovered in my 20-some years of pastoral ministry. I'm so grateful for how it's taken root in the culture of our church because it meets people where they're at, and it's, it's honest and humble and says, hey, you matter more than what information I want to push on you. Uh, and it kind of undoes the high-pressure, timeshare, sales pitch gospel thing that nobody enjoys and just says, hey, we all think about the big questions of life and uh, meaning and purpose and all that. Uh, What do you think? And while that's interesting, tell me more. Alpha happens on Wednesday nights. It starts the 24th of September and two ways you can engage now. The first is prayer. Jesus said, no one comes to me except that the father draws him. And so we recognize that prayer, it doesn't prepare us for the big work. It is the big work. Prayer moves God's hand and he responds to our faith. And if you'll join us, last week, Mari introduced 21 days of prayer leading up to Alpha. It's simple. There's little red cards. They look like this out at DU Central if you didn't get one last week. And there's three boxes on there. You just write three names of people that are your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, friends, or anything like that. People that you've been building relationship with or that the Lord simply put on your heart and you'd like to build relationship with. And then as it tells you over here, 1102, it's just a little mnemonic device. Set an alarm for 1102, take one minute and pray Luke 11:2 that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in the lives of these three people. When that thing goes off wherever you are, or if you're in the middle of a meeting, as soon as you're free, you see it on your phone, you're like, Lord, just touch them, meet them, draw them to yourself. Work your healing and mercy in their life. Show them your love. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in their lives. And then second, if you are wondering what is it that I would actually be submitting myself to, if you're, myself to if you're new to faith or exploring uh, what it means to follow Jesus yourself, or if you have a friend or a family member or coworker, somebody you work out at the gym with or walk the dog next to or whatever, and you're like, I want to know before I invite them what I'm inviting them to, next week right after service is what we call Taste of Alpha. Okay, so it's lunch and a condensed experience of what a day in the life of Alpha would look like. Won't go through the entire thing, but you'll get to experience the documentary video. They're high quality, they're honoring, they're engaging. And then um, the conversation, just, you know, the, the talking about the, what you would talk about with, with your college roommates at like one in the morning. It's that conversation, but over lunch. You got to eat lunch anyway. Why not explore Alpha and continue praying together about whom the Lord might have you bring? So you don't have to RSVP. It's right after service next Sunday. It's lunchtime anyway, right next door in the garage. I hope you'll join us for Taste of Alpha. Sound good? All right. Ready to jump into the word? Me too. Father, in Jesus' name, we give ourselves to you for the purpose of knowing you, living with you, growing in you, and participating with you in your work of the kingdom. We give our focused attention to your word now for this purpose. And this is our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My boys started back to school over the last week or two. I've been ordering books 
textbooks and, and literature books, and it got me to thinking about the years and years of ordering books and school reading, and some of the books I loved, some you suffer through, nothing sort of stands for the suffering through half of school reading like the Odyssey. Did anybody have to read the Odyssey or maybe the Iliad? Yeah, we all did. It's like, it was, I mean, now I look back and I'm like, oh, my kids need to read this. This is so great. But I remember it being painful. Like it's barely in English, dad. And it has no relevance to my life at all. But later in college, I took a literature course and learned something fascinating. And that is... Uh, it has to do with the hero journey. Did anyone in school come across or in your own reading, Joseph Campbell? He's a, a, a literary scholar and he wrote a, a, a hugely explanatory book, at least for me, called The Hero of a Thousand Faces. Anyone familiar with this theory? Okay, so the idea um, you might remember is that basically the trope or narrative of a hero's becoming is common uh, across not only the literary genres, but the millennia. Like Odyssey was written thousands of years ago and Star Wars was written in 1977 or 76. And it's the same story. It's the hero journey, the hero of a thousand faces, right? And the idea is that we recognize and revere not just the face of this hero. It can be somebody who's super cool like Robin Hood or it could be somebody who's super weird like, like Ant-Man or the Tick or some kind of like, how, is that, how did that become a superhero? But it's the journey, right? From Aragorn to Black Widow to Luke Skywalker to Princess Mulan. It's the journey that the hero is asked to walk. It's the becoming that compels and enthralls us. Our title this morning is A Shared Journey. A Shared Journey. We're in a series in John chapter 17 where we're deep diving verse by verse through this pivotal chapter. It's a prayer, the entire chapter. And our series is called The Lord's Other Prayer. As a title, The Lord's Prayer Was Taken by a more famous one, but this is a prayer that Jesus prayed that's his last words to his disciples. It culminates that five chapter farewell discourse as Bible scholars call it in John chapters 13 through 17. The whole chapter is a prayer and it's a prayer for us, the church, the future of those who would believe in him about one subject. It's a call to unity. So that's what our series is about. We're in John 17 and we're going to continue in the text this morning, wrapping up the verses and then the next couple of weeks, we'll look more qualitatively at the message of this chapter. But we're in John 17, starting in verse 24, Jesus wrapping up his prayer says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Verse 24, he says, I want them these that you've given me to be with me where I am. And he's clarifying something for us that though, as we looked at previously, he's leaving them here on purpose, on purpose, 
Remember as ambassadors or resident representatives. But that's not his end game. His end game isn't, I'm going to heaven, you guys stay here, peace. It's a means to an end and his end game is that we would be together forever with him where he is. Remember, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? There's many rooms in my father's house. There's plenty of room for you and all those you're going to restore on my behalf. His end game is together in the kingdom of God for eternity. All of us together are passers through, Jesus makes clear, in this pivotal prayer. We're resident representatives longing for our home, learning as we go in reality and practice. This world lacks the capability to fulfill us. It's not our home. It was never intended to be. And we're all progressing that way together. Jesus makes clear that we are united and in the tenets of unity that are contained in this, the Lord's other prayer, we're united here in a common journey, like the hero of a thousand faces, variations on a theme. We're united in a common journey. Our challenges and obstacles along the way, they may look different. We may struggle, heal, learn, repair, and grow, becoming in Jesus in different sequences, different concentrations, and at different times. But we're navigating a single plight. We're journeying to a common destination. And our eternal hope is together with him. It's like climbing a mountain. When I was younger, living in Colorado Springs, a group of our, what was, we didn't call it that, but it was essentially our YA group, the young professionals, the singles group in that church, decided to climb Pikes Peak, but we did it from different starting points. Some started from the front side or the east side, right? The front range, it's Manitou Springs. And some started from the back side, which is like a mountain town that takes an hour to get to. Driving around the base of the mountain, you have to go up Highway 24, up Ute Pass. You know, Manitou Springs, crowd started with like, with like overpriced brunch and crystals. And, and if you, and then the other, the, the other crowd, very different experience went up the mountain, but we were journeying up the same mountain and we met at the top and ate weird overpriced donuts and contemplated a snow globe of Pike's Peak at the little gift shop at the top. We're on a common journey and it unites us, a journey toward weird Overpriced donuts. Heaven will be much better than the top of Pike's Peak, I promise. And the prayer ends in verse 26. I've revealed you to them, Jesus says to God the Father, and I'll continue to do so. This is an ongoing work. I'm going to heaven, but the revealing has just gotten started. Remember Jesus said earlier in this farewell discourse as we've looked at, previously this year, it's better for you that I go away. How could it be better for us than to have God in the flesh? Because you're going to get the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you each full time and in you. And as such, 
I'm gonna continue revealing God, Jesus says. It's an ongoing time-released process. And then your love for me will be in them. And listen, then as I continue revealing you, I will be in them. So Jesus talking to God for our benefit, clearly God doesn't need explanation as to how sanctification works, but he's counting on the fact that his disciples are eavesdropping on his prayer and writing it down for us, evidently. And he says, I'm gonna continue revealing you, Father, even as my time on earth is at an end. And then in the process of and at the culmination of my revealing you to them, I will be in them. Which, if you're hearing this as the disciples, makes little to no sense. You're getting ready to leave. You're going to be exactly not in me or in the world. You've told us you're going to be seated at the right hand of God. So what do you mean? The summation of his prayer and farewell discourse is very Jesus in the sense that it leaves you going, hmm, yeah, what now? (laughs) So Jesus, what exactly did he mean that he will be in us? The apostle Paul, as he so often does, went on over the course of the next 20 or 25 years to expound on by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in him, Jesus's words and teachings and help us put them into practice. Here's what he wrote to the church in the city of Galatia, the region of Galatia, in chapter four of that letter to the Galatians. My dear children, writing to the young church there, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. He says, I'm writing to you all and I'm feeling angst, anguish, pain as in childbirth, a process of generation of becoming itself until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now. He says, I'm in angst. I'm in pain while this process is ongoing. Ongoing until, and this is what I want you to see here, Christ is formed in you as we journey together with Jesus he is little by little and bit by bit being formed in us this is the substance of the journey we share in common Christ being formed in us and the implication is that one day When we are, as Jesus said, with him where he is, he will be fully formed in us. This is an interesting and intentional word. The word translated here, formed, is in the ancient Greek, morpho. It's a word that was used just once in the ancient Greek, and it means literally, I'm sorry, just once in the New Testament, and it means literally in the ancient Greek to form, shape, or fashion. It's used exclusively just in one usage of artists who shaped their material into an image. So to morpho in ancient Greek culture 
was a very familiar process. This was a Renaissance society in Jesus' day. As most of you know, if you've done any studying in Greek mythology or anything like that, or if you've been to visit the the Pantheon, the sculpture and the artistry was ultimately timeless and produced priceless treasures of art. To morpho in Greek civilization is for an artist or a sculptor over the course, not of days or months, but years and decades to take something that is literally a block of marble. And they would never feel like a block of marble. And little by little and bit by bit, carefully and painstakingly plan the sculpting of that block into something beautiful. It's knocking off whole chunks with hammer and chisel. It's measuring, it's plumbing, and comparing to a mold. And then ultimately, it's fine-tuning with a tiny little chisel and lathe and refining the features to form something beautiful, to morpho something from something else. This is the word that scripture uses to describe what God does in us. He forms like an artist forming a priceless treasure, Christ in us. Some of us unfairly come out of the womb a little more Christ-like, like we look more like that when we come to Christ. Others of us look like a big block of granite. I'm always jealous of the people that are like instant Christ follower, just add water, like instant oatmeal. I'm like, that's no fair. You're like three quarters of a Christian before you knew Jesus. And it's taken me like three decades to get somewhat good. But he's doing it in all of us, isn't he? He's taking that, maybe it's a, a sledgehammer, maybe it's a tiny little chisel, and he's carving. He's doing the artistry work of forming Christ in us. Second Corinthians 3 puts it in perspective. We all, all of us together, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That transformation process is never complete until we meet Jesus face to face. Now, when we're young or new in Christ or living in our brokenness, dead in our sins, as scripture says, maybe we're like the block of rock and it takes brute force to break off a chunk from our lives. By the time we're old and growing in sanctification, maybe it's tiny little refinements But with ever-increasing glory, we're being transformed. We're being morpho-oed, formed into Christ. And this, this is our common journey. This is part and parcel of our unity. Jesus makes clear we're not just a bunch of pilgrims on individual journeys in parallel, but that we are journeying together. We're in it together. And not only that, listen, we're instrumental in one another's path. We share a common journey, even as he's working in us individually. Flip over to Ephesians chapter four, or look up on the screen. The word of God says this progression toward Christ's likeness, this will continue. It's ongoing. 
until we all come to such what? Unity. So it doesn't just continue in parallel till we all come to isolated perfection. But like we're going up a mountain, it continues till we all come to such perfect unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Do you hear the common theme? Growing in every way, little by little and bit by bit, to look more and more like Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Listen, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We see in this passage the unity that Jesus prayed for, sharing the journey of Christ being formed in us, but it's clear that we are a part of one another's journey. We are in this journey of spiritual formation, if you will. We are interdependent. Verse 16 says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Community, what we talked about last week, living together with him, prioritizing that thing that's always able to be down the road from urgent. Community, friends, is the soil in which faith seeds grow. Can we grow in Christ in isolation? Theoretically, yes, but it's in context of relationships with one another that Jesus perfects us and grows us and forms himself in us. Remember um, in youth group, at least I remember in youth group, the youth pastor um, would once a year address dating. You know, it'd be like all the disciplines and dating was part of the canon because that was what everyone was thinking about, right? And I remember our youth pastor talking about things like, you know, um, be friends until it hurts. I'm like, it hurts. And he's like, okay, we'll be friends a little longer and things like that. The most meaningful little youth pastor apocryphal tidbit that I took from those years is, do you remember the triangle analogy? Like, and maybe you were in youth ministry. Maybe you've told your teenage kid this. Maybe your parents told you this like the day before yesterday. And you're like, mom, I'm 30. I don't need the dumb triangle analogy. But like the more we grow, the closer and closer we grow to Jesus, the closer and closer we grow together. It's kind of how it works in community, but it's not so much of a triangle. It's more like a cone. The cone analogy just doesn't have the same uh, ring to it, does it? Okay, how do we help each other grow? We'll look at this real practically and then we'll pray and get out of here. How do we help each other grow? Verse 14 says, we won't be tossed and blown about if we grow together in unity by every wind of new teaching. Has anyone um, experienced another, asking for a friend, of course, 
who um, got tossed and blown about by some wind or another over the last four or five years. Feels like we've been in a cultural cyclone or typhoon. Has anybody not had a relationship strained by those winds of teaching and doctrine and politics and vaccines and everything else that we've all gotten sideways with one another over? Who ha- I'm really actually interested. Um, who has not had a relationship strained? TJ, seriously? Not one. Not over any of that? Okay, only over isolated things. Okay, so you are, you are the exception that proves the rule. You are blessed and highly favored, and we all actually want you to lay hands on us. Is anyone else? Like, I won't call you out. I just called out him. I promise I won't. Anyone not had a relationship strained? I mean, we've lived in a time where those winds are blowing more powerfully than ever before. And we can point fingers and we can say, yeah, it's because they watch too much cable news. Oh, it's because he got too into fussing about Fauci or he listened to that or he went to that rally. The point is, there's all reasons, right? Those wins aren't nothing. It's just that we lost our footing and it's hard to get it back. Like in Asteroids and the original Atari, when you hit the joystick and the thing starts drifting, you can't get it to be still again. We lost our way and we're drifting and we need one another to stay grounded again, to keep grounded. That's how we help each other grow. We help each other keep grounded. We remind each other, keep the main thing, the main thing. I love, I was talking to one of our young small group leaders and he said, you know, we get together and intentionally talk about issues of substance in culture, politics, and in in current events that are divisive. I'm like, whoa, 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 tap the brakes. And he's like, no, the point is we do it practicing keeping the main thing the main thing. Am I getting that basically right, Jordan? I'm kind of telling your story without asking you. Yeah, and and then it hasn't blown up yet, has it? Did it turn into a battle royal? Were you guys like suplexing each other? No, yes, a little bit? Okay, (laughs) they're good. He's like, not the time to tell you that it blew up over masks. But I just think how wise that these young adult 20-somethings are getting together and talking about issues with the point of not burying our head in the sand and calling that good Christianity, right, Jordan? But engaging the ideas of the world so that we can represent Jesus as ambassadors and keeping the main thing the main thing and helping one another stay grounded in Christ. And that is why we need each other. Yeah, no kidding. Thank God for that. That's great leadership, Jordan. Instead, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We help each other too with self-discovery, don't we? We help each other with self-discovery. It's difficult to grow when we only see ourselves from head on. We see ourselves in the most favorable light, typically, most of us humans do. We see what we want to see. We see what we hope to see. We see what we have become accustomed to seeing or what we saw 15 years before. Anyone else look in the mirror and don't believe that you're your age? Because you feel so much younger, right? You're like, wait, when did I get that age? We need one another to help us with self-discovery. The scripture says the wounds of a friend are faithful. A friend speaks the truth. 
The scripture says iron sharpens iron. And so one person speaking God's truth sharpens another. Let me tell you something that I believe that is worth tucking away. And I tell you this probably once a year, so sorry to be a broken record. If your enemies are the first ones to tell you the truth about yourself, you don't have any real friends. We need one another to discover ourselves. Instead, it says in verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. There's plenty of truth tellers. Sorry, not sorry, just have to say it. Don't care if I scorch the earth. Don't care if I offend you. I need to say it for me. See, that's not love. That's me getting something off my chest or just dressing up judgment. None of us needs dressed up judgment. What we do have a lack of is love. We help each other grow by helping each other live, learn to live in grace. Anyone else your own harshest critic? Anyone else true confession moment? You can make this rhetorical if you want to. I'm not trying to expose you. Anyone else find, and this is me, man, like you love being saved by grace through faith. You teach it and mean it and you tell others about it, but you live under a little tyrant of the law yourself. Anyone else better at ministering grace than receiving it? I gotta learn to live in grace. I do a lot of feeling so bad. I just feel so bad. I just feel so bad. I get buried under layers like sedimentary rock of feeling so bad about this and the other. And the enemy loves to traffic and heap on the guilt and the shame and the hopelessness, doesn't he? Anyone ever get stuck in that cycle? I believe in grace for you. I preach it. I'm in the grace by faith business. But sometimes I live like a little tyrant toward myself. And I need others to remind me and to show me how to live in grace by speaking the truth in love. You know what love does? The scripture says love does what? Covers over a multitude of sins. And some people get cynical and they're like, yeah, that's what we need, more cover-ups. Oh, there's Christians and their cover-ups. doesn't say love covers up. It says love covers over. Love says, yeah, you sinned. Yeah, that hurt me. I'm gonna let you off the hook because Jesus let me off the hook. Love teaches one another how to let ourselves off the hook, how to live so we're not buried under regret and remorse after regret and remorse, how to live free and receive the grace of God. When you speak the truth in love to me, you're like, you know what? What you said, and somebody did a couple weeks ago, said what you said landed this way and it was really hard for me was super loving in how she said it. And then was like, I'm so sorry, I don't wanna be that person, you know, that's just like nitpicking the pastor after I said, no, when you said that to me, that blessed me because you spoke truth I needed to hear. You helped me see that a way I said something miscommunicated a, a, a different value than what I believe in the church believes. And you did it in love and you let me off the hook and said, I love you and I believe in you and I'm, I'm glad you're my pastor. That ministered to me because it taught me a little bit of how to live in grace. Don't we need more of that? Don't we have enough of the world and the devil in tow telling us of how wrong we got it and how much it's gonna cost us and how we may never dig ourselves out of that hole? We need one another to speak the truth and say, hey, you're forgiven, you're free. 
I love you. I accept you. What's more life-giving than to be hurt by someone, tell them the truth and say, and I love you and I accept you in your brokenness because heaven knows I need you to accept me in mine. We're a part of each other's formation journey. Are we codependent? No, Jesus doesn't need us. Jesus could bring about the whole kingdom. He could form Christ in you overnight with the snap of his fingers or the blink of his eye, couldn't he? Right, he, he doesn't need to take five years to sculpt a priceless statue. But he works through us while he's working in us because he made us in his image and he loves us and he wants us to experience, like we talked about last week, that unity that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share. And we experience it when we're not codependent. All I need is Jesus, but Jesus uses you as a part of my journey of spiritual formation. And Jesus uses one another in that way. And that's why he set it up as a body. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. We're in it together and we facilitate, advance, and beautify the work that he does in us. So this is where we're going to go in October. We're going to be talking about the work of spiritual formation. Jesus said, not go and make converts or even go and make church attendees. He said, go and make disciples. Disciples are the ones he was teaching this to. Go and make what God is making in you. Invite people into this journey of interdependence and Christ will be formed in you together. So we're gonna look like, we're gonna look at what that looks like and what that means for us practically. Starting in October, we're gonna take a couple of weeks and discuss the practical or some of the practical outworkings of this call to unity for the rest of September. And then uh, we'll turn the corner into a new series in October. Sound good? You wanna get out of here early? It's a holiday weekend. I might be throwing the kids workers for a loop. Would you shoot a little text for me, Anders, and let your sister know? This is not what they typically plan for. All right, uh, if you would stand with me, let's just pray together for a minute. Jesus, thanks that you're at work in us. Thanks that you don't grade us like we deserve. That you're not a taskmaster, you're not a drill sergeant that you're kind, you're merciful. Thanks that you're slowly and steadily, little by little and bit by bit, making something beautiful in me and in my friends, that you're forming a priceless work of art in each of us. You're forming Christ Jesus himself in us. Lord, whether we're brand new to following you or even just exploring what that means, whether we're newly back to church since the hurtful days of our church past or wherever we are in this journey, thanks that you meet us there. You invite us in. Friends, Jesus, if you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment in this attitude of prayer. 
says in the book of Revelation that Jesus says to us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door, the metaphoric door he's talking about is our hearts. He made our hearts. Think of it. He wired them. He formed them. Thought of them. And yet he stands at the door of them and asks permission. You're like, it's his. Why doesn't he just come in and do what he wants to do? Because he made us in his image and dignified us with the ability to choose. But he said, if you'll open your door and invite me in, I'll come in and dine with you. I'll transform you from the inside out. I've got incredible plans for your life. I've got hope to renew you even now. And you're like, nah, I'm too far gone. If you saw what I did in my life, if you saw what I did last night, Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you and I can be forgiven of what we did in our lives and what we did last night. If you'll open the door and invite him in, he'll come in, he'll meet with you, he'll change your life. And his plans are like when you get totally turned around on Google Maps and then it just says, hold on a second, recalculates the route and plan A starts from right where you are. That's how God works in you. If you'll invite him in, if you'll open the door, his plan A for your life will start right now from right where you are. He wants to meet you in that place. So just in this moment of reverence and prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just in honor of God and also in honor of one another. If you're, if you're in a place where you're like, you know what? I've been doing this alone. or I've been trying to get myself together so I can bring myself to God or I've been keeping him at an arm's length and trying to put on a show, but I'm not really convincing myself. You can come home this morning. I just wanna pause in the middle of this series before we get on with our holiday weekend and invite you. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't invite you in. There's room in the family of God for you. So if that's you, wherever you are in your journey, if it's the first time or the first time in, in a while or anything in between, and you wanna open the door and just say, Jesus, come in. I want what you have. I need what you do. And I wanna be like you. I, I admire you. Just come out of your way. Come lead me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand in the air? You can just stay right where you are. You don't have to move. You don't have to get up. No one's gonna do anything to you. I see you though. It's between you and God. I just want to pray for you all over the room. Anyone else? It's a chance just to come home. Thank you. It's an amazing, important decision. And he'll meet you right where you are. Gosh, he loves you so much. Okay, if you would, you can just put your hands down. And now let's do this. Can we all just pray this together in solidarity? You're like, I'm already saved. Well, if you got saved again, that's the worst thing that happened to you today. You're doing all right. Yeah. If you would just open your hands up toward heaven. This is like the, the international sign of two things. One, I surrender. And two, yes, please, I receive. Can we just, it's not your words, it's your faith. Just pray this from your heart. If you would just repeat after me or pray with me in your own words. Father in heaven, let's all pray it together. So we don't single out anyone. Just stand with our sisters and brothers. Thank you for loving me. And Jesus, my Lord, thank you for dying for me so that I can be forgiven of my sins and free from what has bound me up 
and can have a fresh start. So I confess my dependence on you. Please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my conscience and begin healing my heart. I invite you in. Make something beautiful out of me. And I give you my life in Jesus' name. Now, Father, let me just pray for you. Wherever we are, whatever we've got going, whether we're going camping this afternoon or have a big presentation and we're unemployed and looking for a job or we're preparing for marriage or our marriage just ended and our hearts are broken and wherever we are in our journey, Lord, we stand with one another and we pray for hope. We pray for strength for one another. We just pray for the people to our left and our right. We pray for peace. We pray for the joy of the Lord in the midst of our circumstances. And we pray that you would accomplish all the good work that you designed to do in our friends, that you would give us grace for this week. Help us to live together with you for all the purposes that you placed us here. And we bless one another in all the good work that you've given us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.